This is Devin Mann from Man Versus. The following episode of Man Versus recorded at All In Recording Studios. In order to win, you gotta be all in. You hear me? All in recording studios. Let's get it, baby. What's up, everyone? How you doing? It's Devin again with Man's Versus. And I'm here to bring on uh, a very special guest, a, a very good friend and a special guest of mine. And introduce yourself. Okay. Hey, y'all. My name is Kaya Stanford. I go by Kaya Nichelle on all my socials. And I am an entrepreneur, content creator, and micro-influencer. So. so today's topic that we're going to touch on is pretty much Black women in the workspace. And, you know, we're going to get kind of deep and I hope uh, me and Kaya agree on some things, we might disagree on some things. And we're just going to talk about, you know, a lot of stuff in today's age and today's era dealing with black women and uh, sexism, racism and all that good stuff. Because I feel like we talk a lot about black guys and we don't talk that much about black women. I know we have the whole sexual assault thing. But besides that, I feel like, you know, we should give our queens a little bit of spotlight. Isn't that right, Kaya? Period. 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 All right. All right. So I did hear you say uh, when you introduced yourself that you are a content creator and an entrepreneur, right? Yeah. Okay. So how did you get into being an entrepreneur? Because when I knew you, you had a job at AT AT&T, right? (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, talk about that and get a little bit into it. So basically, I feel like I've always had like an entrepreneurial spirit. Like I was that kid who would get in trouble from the earliest I can remember is kindergarten. Like I was selling candy to the kids at five. So I kind of always had like a grind hustle mentality and get it by yourself. And that kind of just developed the older I got. I went to a specialty high school and my track was business. I was a marketing major when I was in college um, and I worked in my career development center at Georgia State University where I graduated from in 2019. So from there, I was kind of, when you work in a career center, you kind of are groomed for corporate or working within organizations because that's all you deal with. You're either hosting recruiters, doing different workshops and helping other students on campus to get a more traditional job. So that kind of segued me in to meeting a recruiter at AT&T who was my soror. Um, and it was an easy process. They made it look real. Well, backstory on AT&T, if anybody doesn't know, it's a Fortune 10 company, not a Fortune 500, Fortune 200, Fortune 100. It's literally like the ninth grossing corporation in the world. So the resources that we're able to give to their employees and throughout the organization, I want to say that I was recruited like a D1 athlete. Like they flew to Dallas. We had like a conference per se. Um, They gave me Ray-Bans, Bose, um, is it Booze or Bose, whatever, like speakers. The headphones? Yeah, well, a portable, whatever. A Boost. Yeah, boost. What is it called? Like a a speaker, like a portable speaker. Yeah, like a little like pill. Yeah. Okay. That they brought us out one night with like unlimited drinks and unlimited food. And then for our last interview, like they gave me a jersey with my name on it. Like I was was trying to get you for real. I was being recruited and the salary looked nice, especially like right out of college. Then they give you your like earning potential because I was in sales. So fast forward, I moved to Dallas, Texas in February of 2020. Okay. So that was pre-COVID world. Nobody could have realized what was going to happen. So with that, I was in a training program, live, work, play basically with all of my coworkers. Um, And I'm from Decatur, Georgia. I went to a predominantly Black high school. I grew up in a predominantly Black community my entire life. And I went to Georgia State. Like Georgia State's not an HBCU, but it's a minority serving institution. Yeah, it's not PWI. It's not a PWI, not by the numbers now. The majority of the students there are either Black, Asian, we have a high international population. Um, So it's a minority-centered school. Um, And I'm in the heart of downtown. You see a whole bunch of crazy shit, period. Um, So I went from that kind of space to a completely white space. Um, That was a challenge within itself, 
but then COVID happened. So then there's the isolation aspect of it. You really get to see the politics and how the organization, run, and this is not bashing anybody, it's just my personal experience. You get to see how the organization runs when you're not in the space. And that transition was just a lot for me. Um, I wanna say I was only in the office for about seven weeks, six or seven weeks before COVID happened. And then everything was remote. And in that I'm in a different state. I had made some friends at that point, but I wanted to come home. So I worked remote for about three, remote from Atlanta. Like I flew back when they were making it seem like wherever you are, you're gonna get stuck there because they're gonna shut like all the everything. So I quickly caught a flag back, flight back to Atlanta. And I worked here from about the end of March until the beginning of May. And then I went back. And by that point, like I was crying on the clock every day. It was a lot, like a sales, like environment in general is a lot, but mm -hmm. in terms of the space I was in mentally, plus how the politics were in that company, I just couldn't. So I worked at AT&T from February of 2020 to the last day of August. So I was there for seven months. I had already filed all my paperwork for my business in July, but I began to lean into it after I let go of that corporate environment. So that's kind of how I got officially into entrepreneurship. So I'm officially a year in business as of July 8th, two days ago. So I haven't gone without, by the grace of God, since I quit corporate. It's not this, the money wasn't as long as soon as you hopped out for sure, because they were giving you like COVID bonuses and all that other stuff, but mm. haven't gone without. So we'll take it for what it is. Okay. So I, I hear that you keep saying politics. Now, is that a nice word for like what I think it is? Or I mean, it's just politics, company culture interchange the two, you know what I'm saying? Um, when you're in an organization that large, there's a lot of mechanics that goes into the day-to-day, -day, even if you're not on a certain level. And I was entry level, so I was a worker bee, period. I wasn't, I mean, I guess technically, if you look at the organization as a whole, I did have a higher rank because I was in the corporate end of the company, you know, that mm -hmm. they have like retail stores. I wasn't in that space. Like, I was in a corporate setting, mm -hmm. office, open workspace, computer, all that. That was what I did. But in terms of hierarchy and what you see in terms of the whiteness of corporate America, I don't like imposing on me personally. I would prefer not to have to, on a regular basis, impose on spaces that were not created for me, people who look like me, for my benefit so getting into that space and just like the microaggressions which I can say that I didn't experience as much or as heavy as people would like flame on social media like when the worst of the worst happens and they make a whole thread about it that wasn't my experience however just like little nuances and <laughs> it wasn't my steez and I do want to say as well like I lived in corporate housing on the same campus that I worked on so everybody in your sales class class that you come in with you all live within the same apartment complex you eat the same meals together so there was also no real like disconnect unless it was the weekend and then you break up into your friend groups but I'm a person who watches people before I get into situations. So just seeing how privilege allows people to move, like on a corporate level, but on just like their entire life, because we lived in these same complexes, we hang out in each other's houses after work. I was just not a fan ever. Like that was <laughs> hyper and like the hyper map, the environment was just so closed off. Like I wouldn't just going from what I'm used to, to that kind of environment. I wish I had a different segue, you know? Yeah. I a hundred percent agree with you with the whole 
like microaggressions and like companies paying politics and and all the favoritism and even um you know like i know a female in the workplace and a male in the workplace is two different things but like being a black person in the workplace like i kind of get it like they for some reason they think your name is harder to say than what it really is like i had this one guy i told him that my name was devin and he was like is that short for Devante?" and i was just like whoa i was just like what <laughs> I'm real quick to learn, and I would have been an HR like junkie because who the bro like? Yeah, it was it was it was really weird, and I was just like, what? I was like, that dog. I just said my name was like if I if I had like if my name was like Devonte or like you know Quan or something like that, I would just say hey like this is my name. It, it's not short for anything. Like I don't know how y'all do it or whatever, but I was like, I don't know that kind of and that was I think that was like my second or third week into my like coming out of college into my job and I was just like okay that kind of blew me but then things got like a lot of better or whatever um you know in the years because like when I was at ADP it was like super diverse like super super diverse and they were very big on you know like trying to hire the same amount you know of white black Latino right all that stuff like Asian everything and like um I will say they probably hired more women than males I will okay. say that because like on my team, it was four males and it was like, I think 10 other women. And then like, even on like the other teams in different, uh, like different states. Cause when, cause it's kind of like you, like we got hired in a class quote unquote. And so we flew out to New York to get trained. And in the class, it was like probably 10 guys and like 40 girls. And I was like, God damn, like, did any guys get, like, did we not apply? Like, I was very confused. Like, it was, it was really weird. Yeah, it was, it was yeah, it was, it was weird. And I was like, oh, whatever, cool. But then I also started to hate my job. I don't know if you hated your job, but, like, COVID kind of just ruined everything for me. Oh, yeah. It was terrible. Yeah. It was. I cried on the clock. I said that, like, and I'm <laughs> that person. Like, I was overwhelmed on a regular basis. Because to add fuel to the fire, I worked in small business sales. When I tell you small businesses were crashing like flies at the beginning of COVID and everybody's just calling, asking for, can you help me? Can you, I can't do anything for you, love. I can't make the prices go lower. I can't make sure, you know what I'm saying? And then that just adds another level of empathy. And because that happened to me early on in the career, that's no longer my career, it kind of gave me a perspective. Okay, this is not a people-centered thing whatsoever. And that's one of my main tenets personally. So it's like, do you just continue on when you, one, know you're not happy? And two, they don't value the same things that like to your, like every company has a core value. I would assume that when you do some introspective, introspection as individuals you have core values too and if you're working in an environment that don't align with what that is for you there's no way that you can be happy in that space so no a hundred percent the blinders came up quick for me that's what yeah no a hundred percent because even when I was doing my little account management thing like our so we do this thing called like like uh upsells where even though you have a package, like yeah. we can kind of finesse you to like get like some like a little bit extra to like get like a little extra money or whatever, like out of you. And I was like, damn, we're doing this during COVID. I was like, this is like, and they were pushing it hard. Like they were pushing it like we had, so we had weekly and monthly team meetings, quote, unquote. Like the weekly ones were like really short, like, you know, how y'all doing, blah, blah, blah. Okay, cool. Then the monthly ones were like with the long ones, like, you know, where are the metrics? Like, what are the numbers for this month? Okay, cool. Like, I think most people have that, right? And in the weekly meetings, it was like a key point to get people to upsell today. And I'm like, in my mind, I was like, bro, like people are going broke, going homeless, businesses are shutting down everywhere. And y'all over here talking about upset i was like i don't know in my mind i was like this kind of messed up like this cold-blooded <laughs> yeah i was like this is messed up and then i got to the point to like where i was so miserable i was like bro i gotta find a new job and luckily i found a new job and my new job is so cool now like it's less hands-on with you know people and it's more like hey here's a project like mm-hmm. you know monthly projects like you just gotta do these and as long as you do them they leave you alone and like, oh, i love it so much yeah. but 
as a, another black person that's an entrepreneur, I am like for 90% of black people just doing their own thing. Yes. Like I don't think corporate, or let me say this. I don't think typical corporate America fits us like at all. Correct. Like, I feel like we got to try harder to get into there. Like, I thought there was this thing where I couldn't get an interview because I was black. Like, I really didn't feel that. I was like, dang, like, because I was sending my resumes to, like, people that do resumes, you know, like, do, like, type them up or whatever. And they'd be like, bro, your resume is fine. Like, I don't know what more, you know what I'm saying? And then I was doing cover lovers. And then, like, I had, like, I've had experience since high, uh, not high school, since college. Cause like I had internships, I had did my account management job for two years, whatever. And I was like, why can't I find a job? I was like, this doesn't make any sense. Like I know it's COVID and people are hurting, but I was like, I feel like I'm pretty, I didn't get no callbacks, like zero. And the crazy part is while that was happening, my photography business was booming. Mm-hmm. Like I was getting booked like three, four five months in advance. Like people, yeah. there was, there was even times where I had to put on my Instagram, like, you know, no bookings for February and March. Like I'm fully booked up every weekend, like from 12 to like eight, like there's no room or whatever. So I'm kind of with you on the whole entrepreneurship because you're an entrepreneur, right? I am. So the business that I started, I guess, middle COVID, I mean, COVID's still going on. Let me not act like I'm one of Oh, COVID is a hundred percent still a thing. America is just dumb. The early, the early days. So the end of summer last year, beginning of summer, whatever, I started my business KNL Co. LLC, which is a creative agency. So what I do is completely in the digital space. I do digital marketing, PR, um, content creation, media management, um, and also consulting for small brands and businesses to help them design their brand and create their online presence, whether that's through social, um, through traditional media, but through digital, which would be like magazines, online magazines, things like that, and help them get media placement, which is what PR is. Um, So I will say, honestly, corporate killed the fuck out of my spirit. So I took a sabbatical (laughs) I took a sabbatical basically from October to December um at 23 I don't know who I thought I was but I just felt like I deserved it whatever we're gonna just be out here traveling living our best life so I did that for three months and then I just started going hard on client acquisition in December so the first check started coming in in January and then been going every month since then so so how did you land on like content creation and you know digital marketing and things like that because you could have went because you know with your degree and like what you've done at Georgia State you could have went anywhere like you could have did a bunch of different things yeah so it was kind of like a stick to what you know I will say that I was one of those kids who was like obsessed with the internet the internet like it's really bad like Tumblr I never went back to MySpace I never really did Facebook either but like I was a Tumblr kid like in high school I had a YouTube um I eat social media up like all day every day and I watch YouTube all day every day so I've always known that there was ways to monetize your online presence and that there's a disconnect especially with the majority of people in the workforce and who have these successful small businesses still being boomers and then like people born in the 70s and such that don't they're not digital natives so just being able to tap into the knowledge that I had because I've been using it for myself And because I do have a marketing background, I understand the fundamentals and the bread and butter and the business side of it, as well as just the implementation of it. I was just like, okay, I've been doing this. Like I've done graphic design for clients in college just because my dad called himself starting a a business and he put me on as the VP of marketing. So when we actually got clients, I would be the one doing the work. So it's not something I hadn't done before. I just never leaned into it all the way to see the potential that could be grown from it. Nor did I know all the tools 
and like platforms that can be used to streamline the processes and make it so that even an individual can do it for multiple clients without much extra work because there's platforms to just do everything after you have the knowledge. And that's half the thing. When you're in marketing, especially digital marketing, for my clients more so, it's not that any of the work is hard. It's just that they don't have the time to do it. So you outsource that. And there's plenty of people who will outsource the most minute tasks, especially when it comes to the internet and you're working with somebody who's not a digital native. Yeah don't have the desire to learn how to use our social media platforms or go into the back office of their websites to analyze the traffic or design how those pages will look like that's the market that I look on to just because locally especially in Atlanta and I will honestly say I have not worked with a client who was not black I mean it's not anything personal it's just word of mouth is easier for me to oh my god bro so like as you know, because I've shot you a couple of times, um, as you know, like I'm a photographer and a videographer, right? Or as, I don't know, video, as of late, people have been wanting to say um, film creator. Like, I don't know why, but anyways, backtrack that. Um, like some, I can't remember who it was, but some girl had asked me, like, do you shoot white people? And I was like, I mean, yeah, if y'all book me. And yeah. she was like, what do you mean? I was like, I mean, like, these aren't people that I'm like, yeah, you have you know, when you first start off or when you want to collab, like you can DM someone or email someone to collab with them. But I was like, 90% of my clients come to me. Like, I don't go to them. Like, cause they're, like you said, like they're outsourcing, like they need something, like they need a, you know, graduation photo, a birthday picture, or even like, you know, recently I've been doing a lot of brands. Um, I was like, they need like a brand shot or a headshot or like, I've been doing real estate lately. Mm-hmm. I'm like, these are the people that are coming to me. I'm not really going to them. And she was kind of confused. And I was like, okay, let me put it this way. Walmart doesn't make people shop there. You go there willingly. And she was like, oh, okay, yeah. I was like, yeah, I'll shoot a white person, but y'all don't, like, y'all don't book me. Y'all don't come to me. Y'all don't do anything to me. But I do kind of like the fact that I, like, 99% of my clientele are Black because, I don't know, it's just kind of like a, like, you see them and, like, you kind of know what vibes we're on. Like, it's, it's a little bit more chill, you get the slang a little bit, you know, it's like a little flavor to it. You feel me? And like, I feel like it's more the climate when you're shooting someone or in your case, when you're branding with a black person is like, I feel like it's a little bit more relaxed. Like, yeah, it's business, but also it's like, like, oh, like I know you, like I become friends with some of my clients. Mm-hmm. Like they invited me to birthday parties. Like they've been like, oh, you're really cool, blah, blah, blah. I see them in public. We catch up, we talk a little bit. So I, I kind of do like the fact that 99% of my clients are black nothing gives any other race or anything like that but it's just like you know like it, it just feels like home you know what i mean the commonality you don't have to feel like you have to put on in order to be successful with the interaction yes like i don't have to f- do a facade of like who i am or things like that because even when like because i feel like a lot of africans and a lot of black americans and like mm-hmm. even then it's like we still be on the same page. Like, it's just the same thing. I don't know. It just feels a lot more comfortable because you said like a lot of your clients are black, right? Or all of them. (laughs) All your clients are black. Okay, okay, yeah. All the clients are black. And then like word of mouth goes a long way. Like that's Mm -hmm. why like grad season is so big. Like this past grad season, man, I was, this was like crazy because you do one person's photo, and they tell like 10 other people and they all want to try to book you and you can only, you know, fit so many in a day. Oh man, it was such a good season. Oh. Amen. <laughs> That's what we like to hear. That's what yeah. Like. So, so with your digital creation and marketing and things like that, what do you find is a good route for other black women um, to get into the space of, having your your own job and doing your own thing and you know making enough money to where you can live off of it because I know like that's like a big thing for a lot of people um a lot of women especially is like you know they don't want to go broke like they don't want to go without they want to you know be successful so like what would you say one especially when it comes to any digital type of business there's low um barriers to entry like everybody has internet for the most part everybody has 
a smartphone, usually even if you don't have a laptop or uh, a tablet. So just look to one, something that would honestly interest you. Don't just do something because it seems like quick money. That's like the dumbest. There's no such thing as easy money, period. Like one, if you go into it with that mindset, there's not going to be much success because you won't have any drive behind it. And as soon as it's not going how you want, you'll just drop it. So the main thing I would say is one, find something that you thoroughly enjoy and then do your due diligence on ways to monetize it. But also everything that you like to do does not need to be monetized because then you may not enjoy it anymore. So, and I think it's also self-reflection. Like, I know that you said you believe that 90% of Black people need their own stuff. Some people just are not out of a worker bee mentality. So if you know you cannot sustain yourself or have the drive to be getting up every single day and working on something, like, it's not a nine to five anymore. Like, you have to do work every single day. If you're not that person, it's okay to thrive in whatever organization you work at. That's perfectly fine. As well, long as- Let me say this, and I don't mean to cut you off. I probably shouldn't have said, like, have their own company, but I think, like, 90% of Black people should either have their own company or work for another Black company. Okay. Because, like, there are, okay, prime example. There was a guy, um, uh, he does uh, like brakes and tires and things like that, right? Like like he'll change your tires for you, he'll do your brakes for you, your rotors, uh, struts, things like that. And he has like, I think he told me he has like 10 employees or so, like about, about a dozen employees, but they're all black. Mm-hmm. And even though he does like not majority of the work, but like he runs the company, does the numbers, the taxes and all that stuff. He does have black employees. And that's what I mean. Like, I think like we as black people should hire more black people because, and I had this epiphany on Twitter the other day. And I said, like, I was wondering why, like we price our things so high, but yet in America, like the average black family income is like $40,000. Mm-hmm. I was like, it doesn't make any sense that our you know, the, the average black income is $40,000, but like there's a hundred dollar haircuts, there's 400 to $1,000 braids. Like there's wigs that cost like, yeah, bro. Like the, the way that I see women complain about hairstylists and like makeup and things like that, like how much, like how much more expensive is getting over time. Like, I'd be like, dang, y'all really going through it. And it's recently starting to happen to the males too, like on our end, like, mm-hmm. I can remember just two years ago, I was paying 30 bucks for a haircut. I was like, man, 30 bucks, you know? And they, and they was doing everything. Like put the blade on you, you know what I'm saying? Fading you, you get a part on the side, shampoo and conditioner. I was like, okay, but I can justify 30 bucks for that. Cause usually it's 20 and then the $5 tip. But now it's, but then it was 30 and I was like, okay, bet. but they doing everything. I was like, okay, that's fair. Mm-hmm. Now you can't find a barber for like less than 60. Mm-hmm. And they took away some stuff. So now it's 60 and it's like regular cut. That's it. Like no razor, no nothing on you. Like just a regular. And I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. But then I started thinking about it. And I was saying, maybe if we kept the money more in the community for nine, for like the vast majority of like what we do, right? Like, you know, where you shop at, where you get your food from, how you get your hair done, you know, oil changes, car mechanics, and all that stuff. Like some stuff we can't control, like where you live at. Or like, you know, where your energy comes from in Georgia, because it's all Georgia power, you know, um, where you buy your car at, or maybe kind of sort of with your car, because you can buy used cars from black people. Okay, cool. But I was like, it doesn't make any sense how the average family income in America for black people is $40,000. But yet we're, we're, we are pricing each other on white people's prices. Mm, I don't know how I feel about that statement. No, we do, because... Like my white friends, they like they pay like seventy bucks for a haircut, but they only get their haircut cut like once every two months because I don't know like whatever white people do or whatever. And like even the way they get their hair done, like they charge those prices, but they make white people's money. Like they're making the seventy thousand, eighty thousand dollars, and not saying that there aren't black people who don't make that money, but on average, the median white family income is like I think sixty nine thousand dollars or something like that, or seventy thousand dollars for white people. That's almost double what for black people. So it 
to me, it was kind of as backwards that we're charging white prices while still making black money. You get what I'm saying? But how are we going to make white money if we don't like put value to our services? And that's just how I feel as a service provider, because I'm a service provider. No, I no, can't nickel no. and diamond folks. No, 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 you can charge. I'm a firm believer as an entrepreneur because I'm an entrepreneur myself. Charge what you charge, right? And I've been trying to do this a lot more lately, but shop black and keep it in the black community. Because as my favorite Hotep Umar Johnson says, we're $4 trillion people, or I think $2 trillion people. Like we make, there's so much money in the black community. Mm -hmm. But the thing is we get the money and it leaves the community. Like, I think the average dollar in the black community is gone within like 10 seconds or something like that. Whereas Jews, they keep it in there for like weeks and days and years. And so do Asian people. Like if you go to an Asian store right now, right? It's number Asian people. Mm-hmm. Go to Asian supermarket. It's number Asian people. Go to uh, like, you know, if you see an Asian that owns um, like a restaurant or something like that, it's nothing but Asian people, right? Mm-hmm. Now, if you go to even like with Jewish people or white people, whenever they own stuff, what do they do? Bring in their family, bring in a cousin that you barely know, bring in the friends or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like I had just met some, not just, but last year I had met some Indian people that um, like their children were, they own like some car dealerships and like they own like their own private practices. And they were like, yeah, our parents all just hire each other for all their stuff. Like mm-hmm. whenever we get sick, we go to my uncle who's a doctor. Whenever we need a car, we go to my cousin who owns this dealership. And I'm like, dang. So like in my mind, I was just thinking, I was like, yo, they just keep all the money circling within themselves. But then black people, they get some money. And the first thing they do is like, they go spend it somewhere else. Oh, you go get some new Nikes. You go get some, you know, you go get a new car somewhere else. You know what I'm saying? And I was guilty of it too in the past. Like I was super guilty of it. Like I got some products at home right now that I literally don't even wear no more. Like it was dumb of me. But yeah, as of late, I've been trying to keep it more in the Black community. And I think once we are able to keep it in the Black community, like we'll start making more to where we can start charging these prices and it's not killing people. I don't know. I just feel like even as much as you would want society to get to that point, we've been so like systemically divisive by every system that we're a part of. So if you have different factors that come into play that just don't allow, I just don't see in my lifetime a huge kumbaya moment where there's just a black enlightenment when we realize that we are the key to our success. I like that word, black enlightenment. I just don't see that happening. And it's funny. I've had a conversation with my friend. Actually, we lived in New York at the same time because we were interning summer 2019 we're both well he's from houston i'm from here both black centers right yeah but we walked around chinatown in manhattan by the manhattan bridge or whatever and he was just saying to me like do you see like this is a whole subsection of this major city that's all asian chinatown's not just chinese but it's all asian they all patronize asian you may not even come across anybody who speaks english all their menus are in whatever respective asian tongue mm-hmm. owner and they live in this community if they live in a different part of the city they come and shop in this community because they know that's where everything's coming from and he's like i just don't understand why black people never got to this point And I'm just like, in my head, and even when you just said it now, it came back to the forefront of my mind. How could we ever get there if we've been pent up against each other for however many centuries since we were brought off our homeland? We're put into different categories based off of beauty, colorism, economic standards. There is an elitism within our community based on economic background. It's just so ingrained into every fabric of our being. You would want it to be better, but could you honestly be upset with an individual, especially based on whatever environment that they came from, if they never get to that mental space where they feel that and live that and have those actions in their day-to-day lifestyle? 
You know what I'm saying? No, I completely agree with you. And what I want to do is what I think the solution would be for black people is like, and I know people don't really like this idea, but I think all the billionaires and millionaires should just buy up the hood, like buy the hood up. You know what I'm saying? Get it out the name of these big corporate banks that own everything or like these big private companies that own everything, put it in black people's name and just hire more black people. You get what I'm saying? Like, (laughs) I mean, there's always a, but like I say everything before, but is bullshit. But like, I, I do completely agree with you. Like we've been through so much as a people, even since, you know, the first like 17 slaves that came off that first slave ship. So even now, like, you know, we've had Jim Crow, we've had redlining, we've had racism, we had segregation, we've had all this, you know what I'm saying? And, and, you know, we had the crack epidemic, we had the heroin epidemic, you know, we've had all this stuff against us that's been beating us down, you know, single motherhood, you know what I'm saying? Fathers locked up in jail, you know, racism in healthcare. I completely agree. I'm not going to argue it, not 0%, 100% what you're saying is facts, but, and you're probably right, it's not going to happen in our lifetime, like, we and if it does we'll be like 90 years old and being like dang i can't even imagine this but it needs to eventually happen because we're still going to be losing on the back end on the economical side the culture side we got that down packed like everyone wants to be black until it's time to be black they Mm. want our hair they want our lips they want our abs they want our butts they want our arms they want our skin like you see you see like lighter skin or you know white or even um asian people like cook themselves in the sun like you're cooking yourself to look darker. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? You're, you're going underneath the knife, the needle to, you know, get a bigger butt, to get lip fillers, you know what I'm saying? To uh, to get this, you know, the waist that we will be having, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, you want the thighs and all that, right? But on the economical side, like it needs to happen eventually to where 90% of the things that we buy are black. Because you go to Asian person house, everything they buy is Asian. Yeah. But let me tell you why, in my opinion, and I hope that the feds don't come for me or somebody who has more intelligence intelligence than me. Let me tell you why it will never happen in the Black community. Let me tell you why. So we understand that to get to these positions of power, when you even, and money is power, period. It is what it is. Um, When you get to these certain positions of power, you have to be able to work within certain institutions. It doesn't matter how small of an entrepreneur you start off as. In order to get to certain tax brackets, you have to start to, I don't want to use the word collude because there's a negative connotation to that, but you have to start to shake hands, kiss babies with the right kind of people to get to a a certain economic point or else you will get shot down. At the end of the day, I'm not talking no Illuminati shit or anything like that, but just like how institutions and organizations work, you have to smooth your way up, whether it's politically, whether it's in the private sector, the banking sector, the real estate sector, and that's where wealth comes from. You would have to have friends in higher places. A pro-Black, an openly pro-Black person will never be able to get to those points because they will not get past the gatekeeper because they understand in terms of what that would mean to the downfall of the system. If someone who's openly pro-Black got to a certain point, and even if you have those sentiments deep down, there's only so much intermixing that you can do with certain energies until it starts to dilute whatever your core value is. So I promise you, no matter how much you're revened in your community, if you get past a certain point, like a black billionaire, at the end of the day, I can almost guarantee they're not finna be like, yeah, let me help my people. (laughs) (laughs) The resources of their power because the people at the heads of these systems is not gonna let somebody with that amount of money be able to be, you can still be, I guess at that point, an ally, technically, but you can make, a press and a PR release can make anything look like something it's not. Mm-hmm. So honestly, truly, once you start to get to a certain point, everything is no longer communal. 
it becomes individualistic. So, and that's for anybody. I don't think white men are pulling white men up because they're white men. I think they're pulling people up who will benefit them, period. And that's how it gets in other communities as well. You know what I'm saying? You're not doing it because of a commonality per se. You're doing it for your personal benefit. So as a black person, knowing that the person with the highest power in the room who can benefit me the most is probably not going to look like me, the likeliness of them, honestly, truly, and I'm saying like the most powerful people, if you look at the most wealthy black people in the world, they're not doing shit, not for real. Facts. Community anymore. If you really look at it. I would say the only like that I can think of is probably LeBron James. He's the only one that I know that's actually put down like millions and millions of dollars to like, okay, bet. Like I can't really help, you know, the adults, but I can try to help this generation of kids be better and do better. He's like the only one that I could think of at this point. Cause Oprah definitely not doing it. Uh, that Beyonce, Beyonce and Jay-Z definitely aren't. They're helping a little bit, but it's like cute little PR stuff. It's PR stuff. Yeah. yeah. Like I'm trying to think. I really can't even think of any. Michael Jordan definitely not doing it. Yeah, I don't think. I think the only person that's actually trying to do it for real for real is LeBron James. And I thought when he opened that school up and took 25% stakeholder in it and giving those people or those kids, you know, the three colleges that they can go to for free and he'll pay for it. I thought when he did that, there would be more people to follow. Like, I was like, okay, man, like, you know, we got the first step of stone, you know what I'm saying? The next couple of years, there'll probably be some more people, whatever. And it just never happened. And I was like, to your point, like, this, this, this is to your point, like, it just never, ever came. And I was just like, dang, bro, like, the first step really is, because I'm not saying everyone needs to go to college, but everyone needs ed- education. Mm-hmm. right and so i was like okay bet once you get some education from the high schools because then you, you know you can go to a trade and get your own money you know what i'm saying there was a guy that fixed my dryer the other day for like 170 and he he's making like almost 200k a year and he just drives around fixing dryers all day like that's that's just what he do mm-hmm. and i was like dang man like there's really aren't any rich black people out here you know buying up the hood i mean you got killer mike doing it but he's not rich rich like that not ever going to be rich rich either he's too openly black yeah he's i'm surprised they haven't tried to shut him down and try to kill him or something like that but yeah he's and not i I rock with mike period per yeah he's too openly i'm pro-black to get past a certain point in this system i believe it that's there's probably some truth to that Actually, that's 100% true to that because they're probably not going to get behind it. Because for some reason, when people hear pro-Black, they think that is like anti-white or anti-Asian or anti-whatever. And I'm just like, that's not what? Like, that's maybe that's what y'all be doing, but that's not what we doing. Pro-Black me, I just like Black folk. I just want to help Black folk, make sure Black folk are okay, do the best what they can. And they're probably going to ruffle some feathers because I said it on my first podcast like a while ago was... I think black people need to stop supporting so many other movements. Like it sounds really messed up, but if you look at, you know, LBGTQ or, you know, the women's movement or even the uh, Asian movement, whatever, those, those groups or demographics are going to be okay because the white people in those demographics are going to get what they want. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, even, like, most recently, right, with, and don't get me wrong, I'm all for everyone being equal, like, you know, I love my women, love everybody, you know what I'm saying, LBGTQ, Asians, all of them, like, you know what I'm saying, I don't want anyone to be bullied or discriminated against ever, but it seems like whenever they get something, suddenly everything dies down and Black people are still fending for themselves. Mm -hmm. Like, recently with the whole uh, Stop Asian Hate, right, bro, that made me so i almost like broke my laptop when i saw that they got the asian bill passed within like three weeks and then like i think the next week there was an anti-lynching bill up in senate and they denied it i almost broke my lap dog i was so mad and then the crazy part is all those asians that were marching and doing everything 
suddenly they just disappeared. Everything was gone. And I was just like, and I was in a group chat with my, cause I'm in a group chat with some people that I know from Emory and they're all Asian. And I was asking them and I was like, bro, like, like not, and I know like they're down for the cause and that's cool. You know what I'm saying? On an individual level, like I know they ride with black people. You know what I'm saying? They march for black lives matter. They've been like, you know, what can I do to help blah, blah, blah. And that's cool. But I was like, yeah, I was like, as a community, like Asians don't really like us. Like <laughs> at all, because it was just, it was just so shocking to see the 180 that happened with the Asians saying racism is so bad and stop this and oh my God, this shouldn't happen. And they were marching and protesting and all this stuff. And then they were, and then not Asians per se, but the media and then some famous Asian people tried to make Black Lives Matter the the head of their Asian movement. And I was like, okay, that's kind of weird, but sure, racism is bad. You got the bill, nothing happened for us and we were just stuck. And then now that the Olympics are in Tokyo, we getting all like, have you seen what's been happening with the Olympics? I like, just feel like they're blackballing all the black athletes. Bro, did you hear what, what happened to Nigeria's track, track team? No. I so didn't. Nigeria's track team for the four by one women's relay qualified time-wise for the Olympics. So mm-hmm. they were going to the Olympics, right? The Olympics denied their qualifications because the cones weren't set up correctly. The people who set up the cones were the Olympic officials. So the Olympics set up the cones incorrectly, made them run. They qualified and they was like, okay, you can't run anymore because we set up the cones wrong. What? That's so... All they have to do is set the cones back up right and beat the clock again. Bro, no, like it had already passed. Like everything had already done. Because you get your... Because like you have the trials for the Olympics, right? Like a certain time period. You do the trials... They send the times, you qualify. They just recently, like in the past like two weeks, told Ni- Nigeria's four by one uh, female team that they can't run anymore. How many times has I've a collective in my lifetime, I don't even know, like in my parents or grandparents, have we said as black people that we need to stop even competing in the Olympics? I don't even know, but this year it's been so blatant because with Shikari, like at first with Shikari, I was like, okay, she just fumbled the bag. It is what it is. And even you have Black people saying, yo, you know, she knew the rules. And even she said it. She's like, I know the rules and I did what I did. And she was like, it is what it is. And we was like, cool. And then you hear about the swimming caps for the Black athlete, for the girl who made the Olympic trials in the U.S. And they was like, well, you can't do that. And then you hear about the two Black female athletes in South Africa who have high testosterone. They couldn't do that. Then you heard about the woman who missed a drug test. And then now because she missed a drug test, she can't compete in the Olympics. So she couldn't do that. And it just seems so blatant. And not saying that it's because it's in Tokyo that is happening. But I'm just like, dog, like to me, a conspiracy, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. This is super anti-Black for some reason. I know the Asian community doesn't really mess with the Black community. I don't know. It was just, it was just so blatant to see the racism especially on the female side of things happen. Cause I don't know of any males that's that they've disqualified yet. Black women are just holding the whole universe on our back, bro. So facts. I just mm, mm. <laughs> bad for the women as individuals. Cause this is like, as an athlete, your whole life has been dedicated to that's the highest of the high. You know what I'm saying? So I think it's blatantly disrespectful and disregarding to their entire life's work on like incidentals that have nothing to do with them. However, I think as a whole, maybe we should take it and see, okay, what are we gonna do going forward? You know what I'm saying? Um, Honestly, it is what it is. I'm not surprised by us being pushed out of any of these systems that were, and this goes back to my point in my personal life in terms of corporate. I don't like imposing on spaces that were not created for me mm-hmm. because they, they, however broad you want to take that, are going to make it extremely difficult for me to succeed in those spaces. I think that we as Black, the Black community, 
like I've already told myself once I saw that those once I saw that Nigeria's um four by one track team couldn't compete, I had told myself that the only things that because I usually watch like the entire Olympics because I'm an athlete, I just like to see the pinnacle of athleticism. Like, cause I believe that in sports, you know, there's no discrimination. Like either you're the best or you're the worst. Like it is what it is. But seeing the discrimination now, like so blatant and so obvious, I've told myself the only things I was going to watch during the Olympics were to watch uh, the black people compete in their respective sports. The, the ones that are still able to do it. Yeah. I'm not going to watch anything else. I don't think that we as black people should watch the other parts of the Olympics that we want to watch, you know what I'm saying? I know some people are going to watch swimming, some people are going to watch gymnastics or whatever. Mm-hmm. And even then, I think we should only specifically watch like the black people compete, like don't watch anything else because you got to hit them where, where it hurts and where it hurts is the money. Mm-hmm. And if you hit them with the money, then, you know, maybe deep down inside, they'll still be racist, but at least openly they can't discriminate against you. Because to your point, like, why do you want to be in a space that doesn't like you? Because mm-hmm. you wouldn't go to a party full of people that don't like you. Like, you would, you would, if my friend told me they're going to party, I'm like, bro, they all hate you. Why are you going? I'm like, I'm going to go because they don't do it. Like, no. So I, I do agree with you on that point. Like, you know, if, it's, if the space is not meant for us, like, why are we going? So, yeah, like, to your point, that is pretty smart. But, yeah, so I just wanted to wrap it up. Um we had a pretty good it's been about like an hour it's been about mm-hmm. yeah it's been yeah so we had a pretty good podcast is there anything else that you wanted to touch on or you know wrap up with or anything that you want to throw out there some advice for the ladies out there you know anything that you feel strong on um i just say do whatever makes the best decision for your life personally take out all the naysayers and social media don't listen to it because it just be hyping you up to things that honestly you may not ever be able to accomplish um but do what you can and whatever you can do do it as hard as you can and that may sound a little condescending but girl self-reflect and you'll know what i'm talking about so and shout your business one more time Yes, it is KNL Co. Creative Agency. You can go to my website at knl.company and follow me on all social. It's Kaya Nichelle in some form or fashion. That's K-I-Y-A-N-I-C-H-L-L. All right, y'all. So that was a good session with my good friend Kaya. And I'm actually gonna I'm, I'm gonna try to I'm gonna I'm gonna book you soon. I'm gonna I'm trying to support more black businesses and you know you're a friend, so I'm gonna book you soon. Yes, um my business yes feed the community but yeah so um and also shout out to kaya for coming on thank you so much it was an honor having you going to get the black woman some some spotlight you know what i'm saying and you're probably the awesome coolest black woman i know ever <laughs> my name on twitter is black women's game account kaya till next time we meet again love you so much and versus out